From Editor-at-Large, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. You're probably listening to this podcast because you love the design industry. It's full of great stories, personalities, beauty, and soul. It's also changing quickly and needs to evolve or risk being diminished. Our sponsor, Fuego, is building tools to protect and preserve it. Go to fuego.com BOH and enter the code BOH to get a free month of their project management software and join the conversation in their Facebook group, which is titled For the Trade. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Kranz Baldwin. Kranz has been a leading figure in the interior design world for more than a generation and has been at the helm of some of this industry's most iconic brands, including Cowton and Tout, Bergamo, Dongia, Edward Farrell Lewis Mittman, and most recently, Dadar and Hermes Fabric and Wallpapers. His latest endeavor is Kranz Baldwin and Associates, a representation and consulting company based out of Darien, Connecticut. Kranz, welcome. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. It's great to have you here. I would love to start our discussion by having you tell us how you first came to this industry. Well, I think that you should know that I started in this, in, if this by this industry you mean home furnishings. Let's say yes. I was a department store furniture buyer. Okay. And I was lured to Mississippi and places like that um, by a supplier. Okay. And I went to work for an upholstered furniture company at the tender age of, I think, 27. And we made 8,000 pieces of upholstery every day. Every day? And I learned a great deal about the business that, that helped me in the long term doing something like that. Okay. But really, I got my start at the Baker Furniture Company as their rep in the South. So you were in Mississippi? In both jobs. I was in Mississippi, and, and for Baker, I covered the Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, lived in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Um, and it was actually that's a beautiful place to live and I you know my wife and I moved there from Chicago where I was from and we raised our we raised our son and then uh, had our daughter and then Baker moved me yeah and Baker moved me to New York City so we moved to New York City except I refused to live in New York City so we lived in Darien Connecticut where we've been ever since you didn't like New York City Kranz I grew up in Chicago downtown Mm, the second city for a reason yeah, yeah. Well, and I grew up, I was done with city. I, I, ah, okay. So I'd never tried the suburbs, so I moved right. to Darien, Connecticut, the home of both of the Stepford Wives movies, interestingly enough. Interesting, <laughs> interesting side note. Okay, I must get that recipe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, so you moved to Darien because you didn't want to be in yeah. the city, and... No, so then, it, so Baker Furniture t- turned into uh, being the head of sales for a company called Ward Bennett Brickell. And someone like Ward Bennett is, is, he's iconic and not well known anymore, except in a certain genre. But his furniture and flatware is in MoMA. Mm. And so getting a chance to work at that level was amazing. And that job led to um, Jacqueline or Larson being his sales and marketing manager. And Jack taught yes. me textiles. Yes. And to this day, Jack and I are friends. And, uh, but he taught me, a furniture guy, to love textiles. Uh, and that le- then that led to, um, believe it or not, I went into office furniture for a little while. After, after yeah, Jack Larson? Yeah, after Jack Larson, because okay. Jack Larson went through some tough times. Mm. And I had to fire people and myself. Oh, dear. 
And okay. I went into the office furniture business, and then I ended up, for no apparent reason, as the president of Cowton and Tout, which doesn't seem like a logical okay. segue, but I was grateful for it. Yes. And um, Colfax and Fowler had bought Cowton and Tout, and they were kind of, what do we do, and let's hire somebody to, to do it. And so that was my first, it's funny, that was my first hire him to fix it job okay um, One of i've many. had several yeah <laughs> yes okay and so we grew it and it was great and then uh, that became bergamo fabrics same thing we want to start, buy bergamo fabrics and this was rebelli and sacco two incredible companies okay and they said we will pour product into that company if you will build it right and so i said i will and we did and bergamo became really pretty large and it was fun and we did a lot of hotels and you know and it was great, and um, and it, my what I thought was a three-year stint lasted for seventeen years. So you just stayed, and stayed. we and we and we got to I mean I you it was incredible. We uh, we were part of the beginnings of Lori Weitzner's career at Sacco oh, and Ulf Moritz, this amazing designer from Germany. Yeah, and he's actually from Holland, and um, all of this it was just. It was the rise of Roger Thomas and Wynn mm. using our products. And it was just, you know, it was a magical time in our industry, that sort of 95 to 2005 period. It was, we, it's almost like we could do no wrong residentially, commercially. It was all strong. So those were really good times. The it was, economy it was, was strong, incredible. Yeah. The business was going strong. You had great it, lines. I mean, were, even if you didn't have great lines, you could do well. Okay. You know, but okay. we were actually, we, yeah, we had wonderful things. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and uh, then they decided what actually happened was Dongia became for sale because it was, Dongia was actually a trust mm. for the benefit of Angelo Dongia's mother. And once she passed on, the trust had to dissolve itself within five years. So the Rubelli family, with friends including Sacco, bought Dongia. Okay. And I ended up running them both. Right. Which was, I freely admit, more than I had planned on, and was my capabilities had to stretch a great deal to do that. Um, you know, I went to business school, but a long time yes. ago. Right. Okay. And um, so you're really stretching. So we yourself. really, we real, but we got, we were, you know, this is 2005, mm -hmm. so things are still excellent. And right. We didn't, none of us knew there was a recession looming three years later. And so we were redoing showrooms and building and launching products. And yeah. it was great and doing well. And then, then the recession hit. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, we became experts at downsizing and right-sizing in words that we'd never heard before that we were suddenly good at. Yeah, yeah, and we were flying around the country and uh, you know, going into showrooms and saying, uh, I'm sorry, but no, we're closing the showroom, or we only need one employee here, or things like that. And we did it, and we got the company through, and with the very capable financial staff at Dongia, we got it done. Okay. And we reemerged successfully, you know. And, and reemerged sort of when? When did you sort of come out of the financial Like crisis? 2011, okay. we sort of came through, and okay. um, we were we were watching our our P's and Q's and pennies and dimes, but mm -hmm. we were through. And with a lot of help from the parent companies in terms of how the financial side of it. And so this was, this was the Rubellis, you mean? Rubellis okay. and the, the German owners of Sacco. And Sacco, okay. And also a, a, very, uh, a very private French uh, investment family. Okay. And so, you know, we emerged, um, and then the Rubelli family decided they would like their son to take over, mm -hmm. which... Frankly, after 17 years, I, they, they had every right to do yeah. that. <laughs> yes, and, okay. Um, 
And so I ended up having another one of my fix-it jobs and went to work for Steve Mittman at Edward Farrell Lewis Mittman who wanted me to work on his company and get it straightened out and fixed up because he needed to, um, he really wanted to do something else and the something else was in China. Okay. Where he he had another company. He was working on contract in China, yes? Yeah, contract in China and his residential business in, in the high point area was right. costing him a lot of money so okay. we pretty much fixed it I mean I can't tell you I turned it into I took it into the black I took it into the dark gray okay okay so it was but running we, in the but red we did and it. you yeah. got it almost yeah. and back and we got it we got it back and in the process though we brought out some great furniture mm-hmm. um, we identified some fun niches and, and you know and we made progress and it was fun but um, meanwhile uh, Dadar called and they uh-huh. were like and Dadar said you know they're an incredible brand, and Dadar and it, with Hermes, I mean it's this combination yeah. that's irresistible. And they were they had a great relationship with a the distributor. They wanted to get rid of the distributor. They wanted to have their own company and hook up directly with all the showrooms and and change the nature of their business in America. And they offered that to me, and I said sure, because Mittman was pretty much done. So, um, okay. And off I went for a three-year contract to do that. Right. And then the three-year contract concluded December 31st of last year. And I was, you know, there I was. There you were. And What to do next? And I, uh, I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to do that again. I've done five of them or something. So Okay, so turnarounds, you'd had enough of that. Yeah, and I okay. thought, um, I love clients. And I love, and and. Part of that comes from the, you know, I've been giving all these talks over the years. It started in the recession. Yes. And I love clients more than anything else. And I love beautiful things. So I thought I could be a sales representative in Connecticut, right? (laughs) For my own company. No, but but yeah, because I've been flying 130 nights a year. I mean, I I was... Gone. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So for people that might not be familiar with you and, and all that you've been doing, so you have for many years been traveling around the country, calling on clients, doing presentations, and and really studying the interior design. I've, I've probably met with, like, in the offices of over a thousand design firms around the country. And the irony always was that I knew every other city better than New York, which was sort of strange. But, yes. Um, in the process, I, 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 I like to think I listened and learned something, and several somethings maybe along sure. the way. Sure. And, but I did this all the way, you know, when things were good, when things were bad. Uh, I, I was just a fixture on Delta Airlines. And yeah. I would show up, and people, it's, people, it got to where, you know, this is the third time I've been to your firm, and, and it was sort of like, oh, great, can I talk to you? About? And that's, if you want, I can explain what, how the whole speech thing happened. Well, I would love that because so one of the things that evolved out of that was that you began giving talks to groups of interior designers around mm-hmm. the country, sort of giving them insights as to what was going on in the industry and, and perhaps giving them some, some guidance uh, as to what they might do to improve their practice. So, so let's talk about that. So what, this was actually, it, it was by accident. Good things sometimes come by accident. Uh, I was, the recession was in full fury and everybody was, we were beside ourselves. What are we going to do? There no, the, sure. the industry's over, design is over, it's over, we're done. <laughs> we're going to pull the lovely silk over our heads and, you know. Right. And people really did think that. Yeah. I mean, and it with was, good reason. It was. The, you literally had, um, you could look out over at 
you know, in front of you and see no orders. Yeah. Things like that. So um, I took a group of designers in Philadelphia who were busy for the hell of it. I said, they're all, listen, I'm going to, I told the rep, get me designers who are busy. So we had dinner and I said, if you each don't mind sharing, what are you doing that you're busy? Right. And we went around the table and everybody had a couple of ideas that I certainly had never thought of. And some of them had never thought of the one that the other guy mentioned and said, do you mind if I write that? You know. Hmm. And I'm sitting there and luckily the light went off, right? And I was like, this could work. So I went back to New York and Connecticut and did and it again. And what was the light? So what, what went off in your head that, from that conversation? That these people are learning from each other how to survive. Okay. And, and maybe somebody could, could help this happen in other cities. Right, okay. Right? Great. Um, and so I went to Connecticut and I got more information. And I went to New York and got more information. And I, um, th- there was the Boston, I think the Boston Spring Market was coming up. Okay. And I asked, the, I told the Boston Shore, you know, I actually might have something here. And I think that was my first one was Boston. So you said, I'd like to come and speak. I, I think at, I at have it. And so I put it together into a PowerPoint. Okay. And um, and they Boston said, yeah, come on, this is great. And it was called, I think, the Interior Design Industry in 2009. What now? <laughs> it was something like that. <laughs> the you know? way forward. Yeah. And, well, okay. no, it was more... It was more like, what the heck? Happened? What just happened? <laughs> okay. And um, and it was. I didn't really know what, but I had a lot of these ideas listed and things like, for instance, I can give you one example. Sure. I mean, yeah. One was a designer had always collected the she no she'd made notes and had look discovered the things that her clients collected. She she paid attention. Right. Like maybe they collect antique postcards or maybe they collect snow globes which one of them did yeah or maybe they you know and in the recession she went back and rummaged around and got on ebay and got some of everything every client had collected and put them in gift boxes and sent them to her former clients saying by the way i was thinking of you and i saw them and she got two projects out of it oh by reconnecting with right with clients and okay. an architect in new york who an architect slash interior designer a uh, very smart guy named peter conan who had uh, had done? He had he he had did not want to lose his employees in his business, mm-hmm. and, but it didn't look good. Yeah. And he went up and down Park Avenue, surveying the tall office buildings there, and it's I guess it's public record. He got their occupancy, and he found that they had really low occupancy. Okay. And so then he said, if they gave me an RFP to fix the lobby and make the place look better, so they could increase their their tenants number of tenants in the building what would I do and then he did it without being asked he picked buildings that he thought really he could really make a difference and then he called them up and said I'm not going to charge you for this but I really think I can help you with your occupancy and got projects because the owners were just like you bet all too happy (laughs) to have them sure and so it was people doing imaginative and intelligent things to help themselves Mm -hmm. and the point was if Peter could do this in New York, someone right. else could do this in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. right? So I got to Boston, and um, I, I I was taken aback. There were 300 designers sitting there because they were all, help. <laughs> yes, so they couldn't wait to hear from you. Right, right. right. 
And so suddenly I actually am thinking, this good idea, I, I'm going to fall flat on my face because I don't, you know, I didn't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and it worked. Right. It worked a lot. Yeah. So um, what I ended up doing is going to cities and collecting information and mm -hmm. then going to the next city and adding it to the presentation. Right. And I, I went to 31 cities. So, you know, some of them were doubles. And um, In the course of what, what time period were you doing tw this? A year and a half. Okay. But I'm still doing it now. Yeah, I just yeah, do it much less. Show. Right. Okay. And um, it was and one guy in Florida, I, if, if he ever hears this podcast, I hope he'll call me. He, I'm, I'm all set. The atrium of Dakota is jammed. Right. And I'm, you know, as usual, petrified. <laughs> and this guy comes up to me and he goes, I hope you're good. And I said, well, thanks. I'll do my best. And he's, he said... I'm meeting with my lawyers to decide whether we're going bankrupt today. So I'm coming here first. So I hope you're good. So I hope you're good, and maybe you're going to save my business. Yeah. And we don't know the outcome? We don't know how the meeting went no with the idea. lawyer? No idea. No All right. idea. Well, hopefully, um, we'll have to have a call-in show. Yeah. And call in yeah. next time. So, so anyway, I also developed this tremendous knowledge of stuff that will help. The designers yeah. are doing that are smart. I, I, somebody said, why don't you write a book about it? Because... You have this. I have this body of knowledge now of smart things design firms can do. Yes. I don't know if it's still relevant, but it it was just a. It, in the process, I learned a whole lot about our industry. And well, the, and you and you still give these talks to today. Yeah, as you say. I, I they're mean, just different now. I'm more of a of a. Here's designers. I love them, but they tend to focus on the immediate, mm. and because their clients are driving them crazy and. They don't know what's going on. So, for instance, there's a huge change going where design centers are under siege from a variety of forces, mostly, uh, I think, mostly demographic. Well, so let's talk and, about but that. But, I mean, and, and designers don't know that. Yeah. They just know it's hard to get to their design centers. So what I try and explain is that, this is just an example, mm. it's happening all over the country. It's hard to get to a design center. It's hard to get to a design center. So little showrooms right. are springing up all over the country. Mm -hmm and all over the country that are to the trade and they're not pretty necessarily but they're functional and okay. then you can drive 10 minutes to get to them right so why did it become hard to get to design centers let's just talk about um, that. i mean it's what, easy what to changed? say it's all uber's fault but um, okay. the fact of the matter is if you if you look up the 25 cities with the worst traffic okay okay and the 25 cities with that are best for uber right. and lyft Okay. And the 25 cities with the worst congestion, and if and I've forgotten, I did about I did a matrix of about 10 different searches on Google. Okay. And they, the they're almost all they they are coincide with where the showroom design centers are. I see. So so traffic. It's just gridlock. And growth and okay. And so, I mean. So that they're literally just hard to get to now. It has nothing to do with the showrooms or the design centers. Right. It has everything to do with we. Um, I think I think this is true. I, I'm saying that because I, I remember reading it. Okay. Um, New Yorkers in 2016 or 17, they added 150,000 cars to Manhattan. Mm. I mean, including Ubers and yeah, and no, Lyft like, and all the other ones. No, but, you, can, you can see it. It's, it's um, terrible to get around. You can't thing. get there. Yeah. So. So okay. while the D and D building has the demographics to support their building, right? It's some design centers are finding it awfully hard because if you live in in Baltimore, it's really hard to get to Washington mm. or Richmond. They would routinely go into Washington, but it's hard. Yeah. 
or have you driven recently in in the on the corridor between Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach? I have it's, not. Thankfully, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty hard for me to get in from Bronxville today. Yeah, see? So case in point. Yeah, um, and okay. we and we have decent train service. And stuff. Exactly. So. So part of so part of why you're saying so many showrooms have sort of sprouted up all around the country is that design yeah. centers haven't become the the destination that they once it, it's, were. It's it's we're moving into a new model, I think, and and it's you only have to look at things like uh, there's a very smart guy Ken what I can't remember his name, but he owns a showroom. There are three of them called mm-hmm. KDR. Okay. KDR is the main showroom is in St. Louis. Mm. It's sixty-one thousand square feet to wow. the trade. St. Wow. Louis. St. Louis. He has a, a satellite in Kansas City and one outside of Minneapolis. Because they can't get to Chicago or Dallas or wherever they would have gone. So they recognize this. They recognize that yeah, they couldn't get there. And, they, and these places um, in the beginning had fairly, had the more promotionally priced lines mm-hmm. and didn't have all the fancy lines. And suddenly that's changing. And you're seeing some of the beautiful and higher end lines appear in these showrooms. And it's, it's a major change that is going unnoticed right now. It's still going unnoticed which I find ironic, and I only learned about it. I'd love to tell you I'm so bright I figured it out. I <laughs> figured brilliance. out I put Edward Farrell in some of them, and lo and behold, we're selling six figures in furniture in St. Louis. Right. Okay. And I thought, gee, I could do that in San Antonio yeah. <laughs> or Austin. or. I remember you talking yeah, to me yeah. about that, sort of So things like the point markets. of that is designers need to know what's going on. Mm. Um you know, they maybe they need to know that West Week. There's also Legends of La Cienega. You know, there, there are other Which things is a going. Huge show, it's right? huge, yeah. But it's more of a design yeah. district show. Mm. Um, and to tell them, you know, tell them about um, about the January Paris show and the fact that Maison Objet also has got a little tiny, much smaller show to call Deco Off. That they should think about going to, and which is a very special show, yeah. and and a, and a lot more designers have started coming they have over the years. Lots, yes. Um, uh, but uh, there's it's sort of that, and then I talk a, I talk a little bit about uh, margin versus markup, and I talk a little bit about billing and why one of the things that's going to be killed is retailing products. Designers doubling the price of everything right. is going to it's. Consumers are—they know more now. They're onto that yeah, game. Yeah. Okay. And but you can make just as much money with other models and and meaning so, what? So what? So what are the other models that that you sort of advise? Well, if you if you can pursue? have a, a markup on top of goods and services and a design fee that's healthier than the design fee that you're you're scared to charge. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of designers. I mean, lawyers don't don't negotiate their fees. You know. Right. I mean. Dentists don't negotiate their fees. Designers are every bit as professional as as other people, but for some reason, society and sometimes the designers themselves. I mean, I used to joke that designers are the only industry that lower their fee as they're walking from their car to the client's door. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. we we have been made to feel a little bit less than than we should feel because we. Yes. It, there is something I will say this, and I hope this is. Heard, I think interior designers at their best are some of the most visionary and incredible people I have ever met and if you have ever seen what a really good designer can do to transform a space it's breathtaking and and it's not something that it is I hate to tell you I don't think it's a skill I think it's I think it is a skill but it is a innate capability 
like a really fine artist, they can be t- you can nurture it through education, you yes. can nurture it through experience, but they have something. Well, well, that's the, it, you're absolutely right, and and interior designers are truly artists, and this is a a huge issue in the industry right now that interior designers deservedly so don't feel that they are getting enough appreciation, that their business model is is under siege, that they're being forced to lower prices or mm-hmm. negotiate their fees. I've, I've thought a lot about this. What can we do as an industry to, to, allow, it's to allow designers to get credit for this kind of incredible transformation that they can create in a, in an, in a world where um, the, the design TV shows make you think that this happens during commercial break. It's yes. quick, it's easy, and that you it's can do it all easy. online. Yeah. No, I, 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 I sometimes harangue from the pulpit that Google is not a design firm. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. I mean, House is wonderful, and so are these, all of these, but they're not, they don't replace what it is that you can get. And I'll tell you one of the great losses in our industry right now. I Please. Think, and this is what I, I talk to designers about this, that um, back in the day, you know, um, when you hired Parrish Hadley or you hired... Some a firm of a really wonderful you know designer, right? Mario Bawada perhaps. Or, mm-hmm. um, you got a house for sure. Couple, a year and a half later, or whatever, you got an incredible house in in I don't know Southampton or something. Right. If you paid attention, you got an education. You got an education, and you became a cultured person. Yes. You learned about uh, history. You learned about proportion, scale, light, color. Uh, you learned about why, what is sterling, what is, why, what is, uh, what is a terrapin fork, for God's sake. Yeah, um, that what, was all part of the process. Yes, yeah, you learned was part about of what you got a cabriole leg, with and you learned designer. about that. Yeah. the reason that real Queen Anne is is elm is because th- there was an elm, uh, and the, all the elm trees died in England after Queen Anne and became mahogany, which was the ballast that was brought over from ships from the New World, and they had all it lying around. But all of that, you learn stuff yes. like that from your yes. designer. Who you learned art, you learned art appreciation, you learned all of the. You learned, think of all the things, light, all these things, and you emerge from the process far better than you were. And you got a house, yeah, and a beautiful right? place to yeah. live. Exactly. I don't think that I think designers still have that knowledge, the the professionals, and I don't think it's being exploited by the clients. I think they want everything by Friday. And it's a, to me, we've lost that. I don't know how you get that back. I, I hope there are clients listening that would just please listen to your designer. You, you could get a master's degree in culture. Yes, it's, it's they don't realize everything that they could be getting from the yeah. service, as you say. I mean, they don't realize the, the gifts that designers have to, to share and that it's not just about picking throw pillows or, or, or even, as you say, the lighting. It, it's, it's everything. And you and I have been fortunate enough to have the experience to work with such great designers who taught sure. us so much. I mean, who were some of the people that really influenced you early on when you were coming into this world? 
Um, I mean, you mentioned Jack Larson, for example. Explain yeah. who Jack Larson is for people that might be listening and might not know. So Jack, Jack Larson, Larson was a weaver. And this is one of the many stories that our industry, they're going to get lost. Yes. So Jack Larson's a weaver from Seattle who takes the bus down from Seattle because he's heard that there's a company called Needler in San Francisco that was a showroom that might want to show off his pillows, not his fabrics. Mm. And so he gets off the bus with pillows. And Needler says to him, did you weave those fabrics? And he's like, oh, well, yes. And they went, could we just talk about creating a fabric company? And lo and behold, Jacqueline or Larson was formed and with not more than that. And it becomes yeah. this incredible iconic thing. And Jack's, you know, he's got this relationship with Cranbrook and he's built all these houses and it's incredible. Jack Larson, in turn, is the person who probably is as much responsible as anybody for Dale Chihuly mm. to do the glasswork that he's yes, done. Because Jack, I think Jack said something to the effect of, yes, you want to be a professor of glass. Why don't you become a famous glass blower first? Something like that. Because Dale Chihuly's book is dedicated to Jack Larson. Mm, okay. There are stories like that all over. I mean, working yeah. with Maya Romanoff. Yes. Maya was this crazy guy from Chicago who changed the nature of what wallpaper is. Remember, wallpaper was stripes and flowers and stuff, right? Yes. And, it, and Maya thought, well, maybe we could throw, you know, cork, not cork. We could throw, maybe we could make wood bend. Maybe we could make shells bend. And all yeah. of a sudden you've got, and so working with him was oh. an, was phenomenal. He, and, he did incredible things. Um, God, there's so, there's so, I wish I could remember all of them because there's, but there are also people that weren't designers. There are people, like visionary people like um, Lester Dundies. Oh, yeah. Who, not single-handedly, but semi-single-handedly, <laughs> he created Interior Design Magazine. It existed, but he made it into what it became. And in the process, he found Cindy and he found it. And he helped build our business as much as anybody else did. You know, And he was very nice. He sort of took me on as a, as a mentor when I was floundering around and he was just great. And he taught you a great deal. Taught me a great deal. He was a former boss of my wife and so yep. I, I know the name well. And that's how I met your wife. Ah, it was through him. There you and go. But they're, I mean, they're, you know, working with Laurie Weitzner, who's an, a real but visionary. Another and, extraordinary but, artist. and. But then also working with uh, Ralph Pucci, mm -hmm. who's, Ralph Pucci, who Andre Putman said, you have such a beautiful space, why don't you show furniture? Up to that point, he was a mannequin manufacturer, right? Oh, that's right. I remember that. And yes. Ralph, Ralph I, I was one of the first industry people he met because, because of a personal connection. It has nothing to do with the business. And mm. his, his wife's brother is a friend of mine. And so I ended up being like Ralph and his mother would, his mother would go, is this a good idea? Is, is this about furniture? And, right. and now Ralph is this huge icon and he's incredible and it's just nice we're friends. Yes. You know? But there are, there are all sorts of people that, our industry is filled with these, I mean, I wish that I'd known Carl Mann, and I wish that, there are all sorts of people that I would have been, yeah. you know, good to know. And, and Angelo Dange, who passed away in 85, but Sherry Dange is this amazing person. And, Absolutely. Um, our industry is filled with these people, and no one's, I, this just bothers me, no one's bothered to go and write it all down. I'm going to take a quick break so that we can pause for a word from our sponsor, but we'll be right back. To stand out in this crowded industry, you need more than a love of design. You need strategy, sales, marketing, and other things they don't teach you in design school. This episode is brought to you by Fuigo, whose mission is to empower the design trade. 
Fuego believes that business and art can and must coexist, and they've built a platform to make that happen. Learn more at Fuego.com or join the conversation in their Facebook group, which is titled For the Trade. And now, back to the show. I wonder what more some of our trade groups could be doing to support the interior design industry. So the DFA, for example. I was president of the DFA for four years. So let's talk um, about that. But my four years were entirely, we were consumed with flammability. Flammability. Yeah. Okay, so that was the hot button. Our issue, industry no was pun intended. In, I don't think any okay. designers really know this, but our industry was in danger of losing the ability to have CFA fabrics. Um, it was. Go- it all was going to be manufacturers of furniture would provide their own fabrics, which would be would not burn, and therefore, as long as they you bought the fabric from the sofa company or the chair company and it wouldn't burn, you were right. okay. But you couldn't use your own fabrics at all, and there was so. Desi- what would happen to designers? Um, and the fabric business. And so Kerry Kravitz and, jo- and John Brewer and I, uh, John was Font Hill at the time, okay. we went repeatedly to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, and I'm very proud to say, after lots of money, we inserted one paragraph in a law that allowed us to have CFA fabrics. And it literally wasn't, it was all and of that. And it changed the whole thing. And it changed the whole thing. Well, it, well it, it didn't change the whole thing. It stopped the whole thing from being changed. Mm. So okay. that, but... But to your point, um, and I have to give Kerry most of the cre- most of the credit. For okay, that. fair enough. But um, along the way, I've often wondered the DFA could. It's now the Decorative Furnishings Association, right? Yes. It has an opportunity to really do something if if the inertia wasn't a problem and mm. they could really get going. The one that gets me, and I don't mean to be critical. I, I guess I do mean to be critical. Feel but free. Is where is where has ASID been in all this? ASID, exactly. Um, ASID could be so power, such a powerful force for the business and for the in, for the designers, especially for the rank and file designers, and and they're national and, and they're, they're national and, they're big and they've got smart people running it. I mean, right? really, okay. And, and I don't. I guess I just don't understand. What's their focus? What are they trying to do? I, I but I, I've and I've been I've had the honor of being their speaker in various cities. Okay. And, but I just I think they could. I'm sure that they they do they work hard on licensing and they work hard on a lot of different things. But mm-hmm. someone could step up and really help this industry professionalize itself. And I don't mean that in terms of the designers themselves, but in terms of the public's perception of the designers. The public needs to understand that design is a profession. Yes, there are people that we, we all joke and say there are people with a resale number and a flair for color. Sure. Right, and, and, but then there are the designers. And they're, they're amazing. You know? and, and, I've and, spent my whole right, life. And, and underappreciated, and, and yeah. the challenge for all of these trade organizations is to figure out how to better support the interior design industry. And as you say, professionalize where, where need be, but, but also help but I think people it's professionalized, to understand the value. I think it's professionalized in terms of the perception of the industry with the public. Because I think I was at a design firm just an hour ago, and the client was, uh, this is a millennial thing, I think. I mean, millennials who I, 
I mean, that's what I'm talking about these days is millennials versus baby boomers. But, okay, and their um, buying habits and such? Yeah, but okay. millennials, it's not their fault that they don't understand what this is all about. They've never, they weren't brought up in it. They right. don't know what it is. And so they, they're, they don't see that they're hiring an attorney or a doctor, or a, right? They see that they're hiring somebody they can beat up. You know, well, that costs too much. Well, I'm not going to do that. I can get it on online. You know, because it became all about shopping, didn't it? Yeah. It became all about. Yes, buying that's a product, good point. That's a very right? good point. I mean, yeah. versus versus the whole process, as you were talking earlier, versus being educated about art and light and color and and what it really meant to to build a, a space and a home and a and a life. Uh, so many designers share with me that. Um, people aren't entertaining or, or, or living in their home the way that they used to. And many designers have to somewhat take clients by the hands and sort of educate them about how to just create a nice, a nice life, a nice home where you want to have people over for a dinner party and, and what that means. Um, because as you were saying, they, did, they might not necessarily have grown up with that. Well, if you have to think about this is the first generation in America anyway, or anywhere, I think, mm. that uh, grew up watching and watching screens not listening to people so it's a visual generation it is not a generation you can sit and talk to easily because if they can't look up the words that you're using like when you say cabriole leg or you refer I mean you refer to a flitch of veneer and they're like you know right you make them feel less than so um this is a visual the business is a visual now and it's if I may be crass it, the designers need to understand it's a visual sell Mm-hmm. It is not a an explanation of what you're going to do verbally in a big, thick presentation. It is a PowerPoint, maybe, or it's a, a YouTube, or it's some form of video. It's a flash drive yeah. that has got 500 images on it set to contemporary music that you show the, the client and let them just tell you what they like when they see it. If you remember... In the old days, mm-hmm. people would uh, designers would ask them to make to buy every shelter magazine, and then make three piles: his, hers, and ours. Well, even his and hers is gone now, but right. um, it could be mine and his and his other one and his. It doesn't <laughs> matter. But yeah. um, it, they used to make three piles: his, hers, and ours. And uh, now you have to do that on sort of you know on the screen online but the designers that are doing this where let's say you show a Noel piece and then you show an Eero Saarinen piece and then you show a Baker furniture piece and then you show me and they start going well I like that they don't know that it was designed by Walter Gropius right right? they don't know how to articulate that sure and they and they don't and they don't necessarily need to know that but but they but you need to see that mm -hmm. and then you need to take the whole thing and turn it into a presentation that you email to their phone you don't send them this beautiful document. Yes. It's just a different world. It's just a different world. And so, yeah. and so part of the transition that everyone's going through is, is adapting to this to technology. Because and, uh, I think I, I, will, I will go on record, I guess, as saying the millennials and the Gen Xers are about to buy an enormous amount of interior design because they are bumping up against this industry now going, I don't know what it is, but your house is nicer than my house. And it nothing no nothing against restoration hardware and all the people, but they've grown out of that. And the other big thing is they're starting to pay off their student loans. That's a very big deal. Mm. This is the first generation also that, that had compromised uh, discretionary income because to of the, the, extent, the, the student yeah. loan issue. And, so now yeah. they're a little, feeling a little better, and they look at their living room and they're going, "I don't know, wh- I don't know how to fix that." 
and they they're, they're designers who tell me all over the country they're coming in saying what is it that you do again right and so they don't they still don't understand they don't understand and and what those services are and yet as you say they're 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 eager to have it in their lives they're they're seeing images on their friends' Instagrams. Yeah, and they, and they, they see that they it could be better, and they know that they could afford better now. Right. And they, they're they willing to... There's, But it's a different... It's going to be a different approach. The design community is going to have to sort of modify their approach of how to get those clients to become clients. Because they're, they're, they've been told the designers are going to overcharge them, the designers are going to gouge them, the designers are going to put their taste all over mm-hmm. the, the client's house. And, you know, all this stuff... All of those stories have been true of it somewhere or other in this industry, sure. but the vast majority of the designers are going to save you money and give you something that you really wanted. Yes, and people think they have to give up control, don't yeah, they, and they to don't. an interior designer, but they don't. But, but these are all, it's probably a lot easier for, say, television and other things like it to make it sound bad. Mm. If you think about a lot of the decorator shows, they on purpose sometimes make the decorators look like crazy people. You know, in fact, the, yeah. you know, and I know, That's the process point. is it can be one of the most pleasant experiences of your life. I, absolutely. I mean, if, if I could afford to hire Thomas O'Brien yeah. to come That's into a my good one. He's a home. Good one. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, now, he was a designer that I was fortunate enough to, to, to work with when I was at, at Waterworks, and mm-hmm. I, I just hung around him as often as I could because he taught me so much about design and beauty and, and the work that he did. And I, I used to dream of being able to hire him or, or someone mm-hmm. like him uh, or, or Stephen Gambrell or somebody who could not only, or as, as there's we a, said. a woman named Suzanne Lovell in Chicago oh. who is unbelievable. An extraordinary or, woman. Yeah, or there are, um, I mean, there's just, there's Joan Craig in Chicago. Yeah. And there are all these people that are just, and or Joan Benke in Los Angeles who yes. is, she would probably hate the fact that I said her name <laughs> because she's very quietly the best. You know, yeah, um, and they're they're all over this country, and they're incredible designers. And they're, you know, if you have, if I could have, like you, if I could have the good fortune of working with someone like that, I would. Yes, you know. it, it'd, be, it'd be worth all the money in the world. Yeah, uh, it, it really would. And I and I hope that we can help the industry to to, to help the interior so. design industry because it, it it does need the help, and design centers getting back to them, so they need the help as as well because all of this sort of transformation that's going on in the industry right now seems to be hitting some of the design centers yeah. particularly these these big multi-line showrooms fabric showrooms I know I ran them yes yeah. exactly well and as you were saying so so when times were good you were you were building great big showrooms mm-hmm. lots of lines and then times got got difficult and and I feel like are still very difficult for our industry yes. yeah. so we never really came out of the financial crisis, or we didn't come out whole. Well, if you think about the, if you're a showroom owner, um, you now have these these regional showrooms that are popping up, and you have, um, as I I said when you and I were talking at another time, yeah, that this is the rise of the really competent road representative. Right, is changing the nature. It people think it's the internet. I am sure it is the internet to some extent, but. The internet um, is a is only a segment of the sort of fragmentation of our industry. It's it is something, but I also think that there's um, 
the, the centralization of our industry into design centers, which was a model that worked, isn't working. I do think design centers could become um, design communities, if yes. you will. And yes. now Minneapolis, for instance, the design center there, I've often thought did a very, very good job. I think the top two floors are design firms. And the top, bottom two floors are showrooms. Okay, so they're now, really integrated. How much better is that? You just take mm-hmm. the elevator one floor and go shop and go back to your office. Yeah. Um, that model worked. Mm-hmm. Again, and with their weather in the winter, I mean, I, I can see why. But yeah. um, I think that if we stop thinking of a design center, it's very much like American malls. Mm-hmm. American malls are in dire shape. And, Absolutely. But if you step back and say, what else could this be? I think design centers could become some kind of design like every other design service in the building as well so yes it's worth going there because you can also you can also talk to your your drapery workroom and you can right. also talk to your somebody who does coromandel or i i don't yeah. i don't claim to know but but that seems to be going on design centers are evolving certainly now in florida there's a lot of different things in the dakota that aren't even design related it, and is that working? Are they? Are, I don't are know. Those bringing I don't know. people there. Okay. I just because, know I mean, that it, it seems like it, it seems like the need to to build community, and also, as you say, perhaps to provide other kinds of services to have other reasons to come to a design. Well, center. I think they could certainly have art galleries, and I think they could certainly have great restaurants. And okay. I think they, okay. And Boston's doing that. Yeah. Um, and I think others are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that. In fairness, the D and D building should have some of the best restaurants in New York in it, and right. it would be great. Right. You know, it has the it upper certainly story. has the but it certainly has the clients in the building that would want that. Yes. Um, I think that uh, I think the idea, though, of think about these people that are in that building, and in and also in the Chicago Merchandise Mart, and and and. Yeah. There there are other things that would make them, I think, would feel more comfortable and spend more time. It's, it's similar, if I may, to di- digress, um, that interior designers, if you think about it, they're the most trusted or among the most trusted of the, the suppliers, right, to the wealthy. I mean, if you're a wealthy family and you have a designer you've used for generations, and um, who, they're the person who has the key to the front door and knows yes. the dog's name. Yes. Right? They're the most trusted person right. coming in and out of so, the house. I, I counsel designers to make to make this one change in your business. You are an inter- you are no longer an interior design firm. Interior design is one of the services your firm offers. Now, what are the others? Mm. Because the, the really wealthy don't want to deal with ninety two different people. Yeah, they trust you. Mm-hmm. Why don't you consider? Could you be a realtor? Could you be? Or have under you landscape architecture? Could you have under you event planning? Right. Look at Ken Falk, who has got event planning. Exactly. Who's got an extraordinary yeah. business. And, but going. There, if you look carefully, there's a firm in New York. I think it's called the Three Fs: Find It, Fix It, Furnish It. Okay. They are a construction company, a design firm, and a real estate company. Fantastic. So okay. So the, the that's a change going on in our industry right now. That designers. I believe it came out of styling and staging. Mm. The real estate people went, hey, this works, you know. But I think that if interior interior designers would just say, I am a firm that caters to to special wealthy people, and one of my services is interior design, and then sit down with a blank piece of paper and say, so now what? 
it changes the, the nature of the discussion. Because I do believe that, that people, for instance, um, when baby boomers like myself are getting ready to downsize, mm-hmm. I don't know how to, how to get everything appraised and how to get it all moved and how to get it repaired and how to get it into my new condo for my big house and what's right. worth keeping and what's right. worth... But if you came to me and said, you can offer me those services I, and I already like you and trust you, I'd go, thanks. Here, right. take it all right, and, and, right. and take care of that. And, and yeah. it's that kind of thinking. I, I'm seeing it all over the country. Designers are starting to go, you know, I could help with this. Um, and event planning is one of them. I mean, they, who better than a designer to do a lavish wedding? Or a, you It know, seems like such a natural yeah, extension yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. So I also... I, so this is part of what you talk about yeah, with interior designers, how I, to evolve their But their I only talk about it with interior designers because they talked about it to me. Right. You know, so you've heard these great stories yeah. of success, and you're and designers who others. are realtors, which yeah. means when a real estate firm adds a designer, they've just cut the design community out of any houses that they're selling, right? Yes. So why don't you? The reverse could also be true. It's just that you, part of this is I'll tell you what you do: you pay attention, read the read the paper or online or you know read the Wall Street Journal. Look at everything. I look at everything, and I just. I don't really, but I look as much as I can. You find these bits. They're all over. They're in, like on page something of the Wall Street Journal. Suddenly you see something's going on in shopping malls. It's like turning shopping malls into dormitories. Well, you know, you know, and, and that's a great point. We're, we're at a, a, a point in history where you feel as, as though many industries are having to sort of reinvent themselves. Yeah. So malls, it's not just us. Right. Malls are going to have to repurpose. Uh, design centers are going to have to find a new way forward. The, this, this multi-line model seems to, to no longer be sort of a, a cornerstone of, of design centers. I mean, I know it is in some places, um, but, but as, as you've talked about, the road rep you see as yeah. such an important part of the future for the fabric industry. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, it's, it's for, if I may, it's for the industry. Because yeah. some of the great people in our business are those people who knock on your door and they know so much and they're... They're all around the country. They're really great road reps. Yeah. And I'm hoping to become one of them. And I also offer consulting, which comes out of these talks. Designers say, by the way, can you help me with something or another? And I, sure. You know. So that's part of your that's new part of business my today. New that business. is Franz yeah. Baldwin and Associates. But it is, it is me evolving the way I've been saying mm-hmm. others should evolve. It's me saying, not only can I sell you some fabric, but I probably could help you revitalize you know, how you approach this business. Um, and to some extent, I've had some success doing that. And, right. Um, I've got two clients right now that I'm working with. Um, but a lot two of it clients is, that you're working with to sort of cons- help them just transform their yeah. business. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Good for you. And um, but a lot of it is just, you know, designers. One of the things that is drives designers crazy is road reps who come in and they've got a canned speech mm-hmm. that the manufacturer said you're going to show all of these fabrics or all of this furniture or all this right. whole catalog right. and you're going to say the following things which you haven't had to memorize but practically about this is evocative of the of this flowers in the mountains of Switzerland in the spring and we've taken the they don't need that they are on billable time they don't want right. you to they want you to bring it in as efficiently as possible mm-hmm. and say often if you just let them flip through the fabrics um, they can do the whole thing in 15 minutes, and it will be, you will have been a success if you if we road reps would just shut up. 
Uh, okay. The other part so of it is... So the client can, can do it themselves. And there's a thing we invented. I don't know if that's not true. I, I don't know if we invented, but we've, we used at Dadar, which we called lay down, pick up, which is the designers didn't have a problem with reps coming in to show fabrics or whatever. Mm-hmm. They had a problem with the time it took. Yeah. So what we tried at Dadar was just based on that, what happens if, if you give us a table? We will bring our fabrics in. They're mm-hmm. all priced. We will lay them all out on the table for you. We'll leave a pad and a pencil so you can make a note of the samples you want. We will provide mini cupcakes or something mm. and come back in two hours. No presentation. Wildly excited designers. Because I'm sure they it just isn't dive that they, into the product. It isn't that they resented the rep. Or they just didn't have time for the spiel. It's an old yeah. word, right? Yeah, yeah. No, but you're and right. And so that is working. I'm, um, you know... Right now, I'm trying to meet everybody so I confess I'm not doing that. But I plan on doing that. It's just, mm. I know you don't have time. So yeah. why don't I just do, I'll, I'll come in, I'll lay it all out for you. You pick what you want, I'll be back. And it is, that's the evolution. I mean, we all have to think differently. Yes. And so I'm trying at my advanced age to think differently, right? Well, I think that's, I think that's great. I yeah. think the whole industry needs to yeah. be willing to think differently. Because, because and, and I would I say this again, I think we are about to have another major surge in our industry. We have two generations with a ton of money and a ton of desire for something better. It's just it's different now. So you've got to approach it from on their terms, not on our terms. So we have to figure out how to appeal to yeah. this new and it's, customer. And it's visual. Mm-hmm. It, is not, it is visual. And one of the things I have in my talk, I have a slide of... A set, a beautiful set of 18th century Thomas Chippendale chairs mm-hmm. that are, you know, I, I, they're really pretty ones. And you'd know them, and I'd know them, and right. Carl D'Aquino would know them. Yes. But, but the point is that if you say Chippendale, the next slide I have is naked men dancing. Because <laughs> Just to keep it that's interesting. That's what they, the first <laughs> thought the is Chippendale. they're going to have. Right, but it is. Right. It's I hope that's fault. not true. It is brands. true. It is. I think it I is true. I hope so. that's not true. So getting back to showrooms before we wrap up, if you were running showrooms today, what would you be doing? So we talked earlier about scaling back and re-right-sizing mm-hmm. right, some of these showrooms, which I know a lot of companies are doing right now, right. trying to find the, the right size and, and the right amount of offerings. For a, for a much smaller market, right? right. We recognize. Well, I don't know that it's a smaller market. I just think that it's a. Uh, it is the design center is drawing a smaller portion of the market. Okay. Um, there, I'll give you an example of something incredibly smart. Okay. I don't. I don't want to identify who's doing it because they're about to do it, and then it would spoil their competitive okay. edge. We don't want to take their thunder. But um, okay. Very big showroom, major city, is creating an incubator in their showroom and there it is significant portion of their showroom where they are finding little little like i look at them like little shoots of spring like you see the crocuses coming up you know right they're trying to identify small artisanal lines that that have the shot at becoming important and donate a lot of space to a lot of those lines each of whom is small but create an environment in their showroom where you would want to go there and see the, this fabric company only has 24 fabrics. Yes. Right? And this company has 10 wallpapers. 
Did you read the article in the New York Times about small batch textiles in Brooklyn? I did, yes. So it's that. Yes. And it is that in Los Angeles, and it is that in Dallas, and it is that in Seattle. And so the point is, so this showroom said, we are going to have things that will draw the design community. They're going to come in and go, what you what else do you have yes. that's so great yes. what is that and where do you have and yes we also have this i think we've got to reignite the imagination that's, and, that's and equally that's i think idea. that there well this is a, again somebody told me that yeah. but equally there's a ton of new exciting creative people out there digital has offered the ability to do like rapid small batch printing digital printing yeah. yes so then 3d printing allows you to do things like uh, what my aromanoff for instance is very smart they have what looks like stitched wallpaper mm-hmm. it's 3d printed but it looks it it's fantastic leave so, it to my own no, to but, continue yeah, yeah. to innovate so I, yeah. um i just think that I think design centers are going to have to become the incubator of the next group of suppliers, the way they were in the first place. Yes. When these little, little bit, you know, Angelo sure. Dungia's furniture came out of his projects, and he didn't, have, he didn't have a huge line. He started with things he designed for clients, right? And it grew. Well, and all of these we're, things, all of yeah, these great companies that you've referenced, they were all t- little teeny tiny yeah. companies in the beginning, Clarence House, and you mentioned I do think Jack our Morrison. industry has a problem with big I think big becomes unwieldy, okay. Unless you're at a price point where you, you you need that's works. Yeah. But for the the higher end luxury, we're not good at big. We're good at special. Right. And specials coming. There's a whole lot of cool little companies coming. And, and so hopefully the let's, design. Let's why don't we welcome them into the yeah. design centers? And 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 have the design center be a, yeah. an incubator itself. I think that is a, a and, great idea. And I and I love this optimistic tone that you're giving oh, us I, for, I really for believe the industry. That, I, I really believe we're all going to see a resurgence in our, in the design business, but it won't be the same. Yeah. And so if you think it's the same, you're going to miss it. I, I wish I could be. I don't know what that really means, but start start with a blank piece of paper, and think about what it could be, because it is going to be something. It is going to be something. And there's all, millions of people that are one. It's you can feel it. It's yeah. they're bumping up against our business now. It's just about to happen, so we just have to be ready next, for the it. Next five years and keep yeah. an open mind. And I and I and hope. we have to allow let politics stay out of it long enough to have a good economy. Right. Yes. Well, let's not even get into no, that. No. 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 But uh, okay. Well, that's a great place for us to uh, to wrap up. Thank you so much. This has well, been thank a, you. a great conversation. Uh, my guest has been Kranz Baldwin of Kranz Baldwin and Associates. Thank you again for joining us. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe, and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps to grow our audience. Thanks again to our sponsor and our producer. You can find us on editoratlarge.com or Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week. Mm